Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, my name is Amanda Kwan. I'm a shareholder with the Cleveland office of Ogletree Deacons. I'm here with Stephen Kazada, shareholder in our firm's Houston office. Uh, We're both here at Workplace Strategies in San Diego. Uh, Yesterday, we had the pleasure of being on a panel together called Can't Touch This, Disciplining Employees in Tricky Situations. Uh, We had a a good attendance. We had about 174 folks in the room and a lot of good, lively discussions about different situations that are tricky to deal with. Perhaps an employer is looking to discipline or terminate an employee, and right before they get to do it, the employee comes in and asks for leave, asks for an accommodation, maybe brings a a claim, says that somebody is harassing them or discriminating against them. Uh, So today we're gonna give some highlights from our session here, things to kind of keep in mind to minimize the risk in terms of retaliation claims. As we first look to retaliation claims, we wanna keep in mind that retaliation claims are independent of underlying claims. Uh, So what we're talking about here is when individuals engage in protected activity, things like making a claim of harassment or of discrimination or uh, possibly requesting an accommodation due to a disability or requesting leave under the FMLA, uh, maybe filing some kind of safety complaint or or filing for workers' compensation. Uh, There are a host of reasons that employees might be engaging in some kind of protected activity. Uh, and, And once an employee is engaged in that protected activity, what we're talking about today is really focusing on how to minimize Uh, potential liability with respect to retaliation claims. So when we look at retaliation claims, one of the big things we talked about yesterday was providing 10 practical defensive steps to address these types of tricky situations, how to basically discipline or terminate employees in in these types of tricky situations. Q, I'm going to pass it over to you to kick us off with number one. Sure. Thank you, Amanda. So I think in the overall theme of these 10 tips is to remember that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in the retaliation context and that these 10 defensive steps are things that when you put them together you hopefully have the best evidence and the best documents to show that you did not in fact retaliate against an employee, that there were issues with their performance or there were issues with misconduct that were being addressed and that they have finally come to a head in the midst of them engaging in this protected activity and that the discipline or the termination is in fact legitimate uh, and has nothing to do with the protected activity. So that's sort of the overall theme of these 10 defensive steps. Uh, And the first one being to document and handle discipline and performance issues contemporaneously and candidly. I think this is one of the most important things in our defensive arsenal when we're looking at a retaliation claim. We have 
performance evaluations, we have performance improvement plans, we have write-ups, we have all of these things that we can use to address performance. But none of them are good unless you use them at the time the poor performance is happening or at the time the misconduct is happening. You wouldn't let your kid go around your house and tear up your house all week long and then wait to tell them on Saturday, hey, you can't tear up my house. The same thing with an employee. If an employee is getting there late, you need to tell them, hey, you're getting here late. We're writing you up because you arrived late today, right? The next day they get there late. We're writing you up again because you got here late. Don't wait until the end of the month and be like, hey, you got here late on May 1st and May 2nd, but I've been busy, so on May 30th, I'm gonna write you up. That, that's, that's the whole point of documenting and handling discipline and performance contemporaneously as it happens. And Amanda, I'll let you go over number two now. Excellent. And, you know, as we jump in, one of the things that I thought was was interesting that Bill Duda brought up yesterday, he brought up a good point about these retaliation claims. It's almost like two kids in a sandbox. You know, you've got you've got one kid. If a kid goes over and punches the other kid, the natural reaction is really to punch back. And so I think in terms of context for these tips, uh, it's important to kind of think through the fact that when you've got an underlying claim, let's say somebody makes some type of claim against a manager, for example, that can be taken personally. People don't like to be accused or attacked in that manner. Uh, and so part of what we're looking at in terms of documentation is just making sure that we're able to prove and, and establish down the line if we have to, when we made these decisions and when we started looking at these types of issues. So like you said, making sure that you're doing it all along the way. Uh, and that leads to our, our tip number two. Our second tip uh, is to make sure that you're documenting the termination or the discipline or the performance management issue, the idea itself. Uh, now, whether some, some companies have different philosophies on this uh, as to whether it's a quick email to the file just to say, you know, I'd like to meet regarding a decision I'm leaning towards, I believe I'd like to terminate or discipline or issue a PIP, whatever it may be, and indicating we can discuss specifics when we meet or talk or something along those lines, just to kind of document in the file that there was this genesis of that idea uh, behind the discipline, the termination, performance management idea or performance management issue is an excellent tip. And I think it's best used in situations where perhaps that frontline manager doesn't have the absolute authority to go ahead and terminate an employee just whenever they feel like terminating them. The uh, companies typically have internal processes that have to be followed before an employee is terminated, absent, you know, very drastic situations in the workplace. But certainly if there's a performance or a discipline issue like tardiness or attendance or something like that, not uh, lots of managers in cases I've had will say, well, I don't have this supreme authority to terminate somebody. I have to go through the process, right? And so documenting the idea that you have about terminating an employee or putting them on, on a performance improvement plan or doing some other sort of disciplinary uh, measure is very helpful because even if the decision isn't final, you at least have something with a time and date stamp on it that shows when you contemplated making this decision. That, I think, takes us to number three here, document the termination discipline performance management decision. So this one sort of goes hat in hand with number two. This one is just for 
the situation in which the disciplinary or the termination or the performance improvement plan decision is finally made. We've got all, all of our administrative approvals uh, and we've gone through the steps that we have to go through to have the decision approved and we need to now document the date and time that the decision was made, right? And so why is the date and time important um, for documenting when the decision was first conceived of or contemplated and then when it was finally approved? Because causation is so huge huge in retaliation claims. And if an employee comes in the day they're going to be terminated and says, oh, I need to to have an accommodation because I've got this disability and we've already made the decision to terminate the employee, we're able to show, no, the termination decision was made before the employee came in and made the request or made a complaint. And so therefore it, it breaks that required causation. All of these points are really great at, at getting to the fact that we want to show that timeline. We want to be able to establish what did we do and when. When did we come up with the idea? When did we implement the decision or for come to a decision? Uh, and part of that is, you know, why now? As you said, Q, causation is so key. It's critical in these types of cases. And and one of the important questions to answer is why now? We had a lot of discussion yesterday amongst, um, amongst the crowd as to situations where you've got managers who maybe are dealing with attendance issues for months and months, uh, but they haven't really put anything in, into documentation. They haven't uh, reflected it in any kind of written uh, warning or written, written coaching. Or, or documented coaching or anything of that nature. And when you don't have the documents to show that, it's, it's, it can be difficult to establish why you're making some particular decision at that point in time. Uh, if there's some kind of intervening factor like a claim of harassment or discrimination or some kind of workers' comp claim or something in, in between those items, the employee is going to think through and, and maybe think that the protected activity is really the reason for why you're moving forward with all of these issues now. So that takes us to our fourth tip, which is confirm the reasons and the proof. For defending these types of claims, we want to think like a juror. There are emails, there are text messages, there are other things that we can pull to establish when we were talking about the ideas or when we were figuring out and coming to some kind of conclusion and decision on, on the discipline or the termination or the PIP. Uh, but we want to, you know, when we're going through and figuring out the reasons and the proof, like I said before, we want to make sure that we've got a timeline with documents that we can, we can establish uh, what we were doing and why. Q, yesterday you were talking a little bit about receipts. Yeah, this is definitely one of those situations where an HR person or a manager has the opportunity to say, show me the receipts. And by that, I mean, there has to be some document out there. In, in you know my perfect world, there has to be some document out there or some piece of proof that goes to establishing what it is the employee is being disciplined for. So if the employee is supposed to make 50 widgets a day and doesn't make 50 widgets a day, okay, well, let's, let's pull out the production log for this employee and see just how many widgets she's making. Don't take it on faith that a supervisor coming in and telling you, oh, her performance is poor because she's not making enough widgets, that she actually is not making enough widgets. Go in there and be able to show, oh, she was only making 45 and she needed to be making 50. And then go on and ask the question, who else in this management, in this manager's group is perhaps also making less than 50 widgets a day? 
right? That's sort of the, the next advanced step to take. So the first one would be confirming the reasons for the discipline, confirming the reasons for the termination, asking for those receipts. And then the second step is, is there anybody else doing this, right? And, and if so, why not them and why this employee? So, so this is that opportunity to really do a little detective work and get in early and be able to have evidence supporting our reasons for termination. And even once we've got those receipts, we've got the evidence to kind of support and lay out the reason for discipline, termination, whatever, whatever it may be. At this juncture, employers may want to consider whether there have been any official or unofficial or informal complaints. Uh, keep in mind, there's really no such thing as an unofficial or informal complaint. All complaints are, are equally important in terms of dealing and addressing them. If there's an employee who makes a complaint and simply indicates that they just want it off the record or they want to make an unofficial or informal complaint, uh, it's important to still treat those seriously and address them appropriately. Employers may want to consider at this juncture whether there have been any such complaints. Employers may also want to consider whether there have been any requests for leave, any accommodation requests, uh, workers' compensation claims, or anything of that nature. Even if any of these types of situations come up, uh, it, it is okay to say not right now to some kind of termination, discipline, or performance improvement plan. Uh, and that's, that's really the, the crux of this tip that we have in terms of confirming the reasons and the proof and really evaluating what that looks like in terms of logistics. And one thing I want to mention about confirm the reasons and the proof, uh, I think a critical step is determining if, if it's a situation where there's poor performance. I think it's a good idea to consider how long has that poor performance been going on. I've actually had a situation where the employee's defense to being a poor performer was, I've been a poor performer for a long time. And I was a poor performer before uh, my boss started doing these adverse actions against me. What changed? I complained, right? So an important question to ask is, how long has this been going on and why now? Why, why, why are we wanting to address it now after two years of this employee being a bad employee? Okay, and now that takes us to tip number five. Do what you would do no matter the termination, discipline, or performance management decision. And let me give you a little context here. When I say do what you would do no matter the termination, discipline, performance management situation, I'm talking about the, the intervening complaint, right? So this is one of those scenarios where uh, a manager perhaps or HR perhaps has been working on a performance improvement plan, has been working on a write-up, has been working on a termination decision. And in the midst of that process, the employee comes forward and asks for an accommodation, makes a complaint, requests leave, says they've been injured and would like to file a workers' compensation claim. In those scenarios, it's important to, as another one of our panelists said yesterday, sort of separate the threads, right? We have this performance issue on one track, and now we've got this complaint or request for an accommodation on a separate track. Undo those threads, think of them as separate items, keeping in mind, you know, we've got this termination decision or this performance management decision in the background, but simply because someone engages in a protected activity doesn't mean that it absolves them of the disciplinary action or the performance management decision that's been made if they're still having uh, performance problems and if they're still engaging in conduct that violates a policy. It shouldn't absolve them of having to receive the consequences of their poor performance or that policy violation. So if an employee complains and you've had your ducks in a row all along from the get-go, then 
it's important, I think, to continue moving forward because if an employer, I think, looks at a, a decision in certain situations after an employee complains and then pulls back on the decision, it makes somebody sort of looking from the outside in think, well, why would they not go forward with the decision if it was a good and right decision, right? So, so it's, it's not 100% stay the course. Obviously, there's obviously facts that are important in every scenario, but generally, if an employee complains and if an employee asks for an accommodation or some makes a complaint of discrimination, undo those threads and keep them in sort of separate buckets. And that really leads us to our, our next tip, tip number six, which is um, keeping things separate and on a need-to-know basis. So just what Q had said, we don't want to mix subjects. If you've got if you've got documents, emails, or meetings about performance, those should be kept. Uh, you know, about performance. There are separate meetings or emails about any kind of requests for accommodations or the interactive process or any kind of complaint procedure. If you've got somebody who comes in and maybe makes a sexual harassment claim or some kind of claim um, internally, you wanna make sure that you're treating those separately so that you don't have an email about performance mixed in with a request for an accommodation along the same lines as, as maybe an email with some reference to a claim of harassment. This one's difficult because the employee will be brought in to be given their performance improvement plan and their response to being given the performance improvement plan is, well, what about my complaint about my boss harassing me? And this performance improvement plan is just an example of more harassment. And it's nice to be able to say when you're keeping things separate, Tommy or Mary or whoever the employee is, let's take a step back. This meeting is about your performance. And we're here to address the performance improvement plan that we've got for you. And if you feel you have other issues going on, you can contact HR employee Y. I'm HR employee X dealing with your performance, but there's somebody else who deals with, with leave and with accepting complaints and investigating complaints. We're going to leave that separate. This meeting is about your performance. And, and to your point, Q, that's a great point to raise. You know, employers may want to consider in some situations it may make sense to engage a third party to investigate a certain complaint. If, you know, depending on, on the situation, it may necessitate or may be prudent for an employer to engage a third party um, to separate out that investigation piece or separate out that handling of a request for an accommodation or something like that. Uh, so so it's it's important to make sure folks are aware of their roles and that there is not this mixing uh, of subjects. If you've got somebody who's normally responsible for a leave or accommodation request, allowing them to, to be sure that they're able to handle it. Uh, if there's somebody, a manager or, or HR or whoever is going to deal with and address the performance issue, keeping that in its own separate line as well. Employers may also want to consider who should know what. As we think through this, you can't retaliate if you don't know about the protected activity. If there's no reason to tell uh, this particular employee about a request for an accommodation or a claim of harassment or discrimination, um, then there really is no need to share that information. Uh, and, and doing so may cause more issues than than not. Yeah, that's right. And I think at the heart of every employment discrimination or employee employment retaliation matter, it's trying to get to the bottom of what was in someone's head at the time the decision was made. And if an employee is alleging discrimination or retaliation, they've got the burden to prove that the decision maker had the protected activity or had the protected category in mind when they made that decision. 
And so if we've kept things on a need-to-know basis, it's nice to be able to say that the decision maker had no idea that they went to the benefits group and asked for FMLA leave, uh, that they had no idea that they went to the benefits group and asked for parental leave. And so it's, that, that is a really nice defense because, again, these claims are, are claims of in, intentional discrimination and intentional retaliation. And you can't discriminate and you can't retaliate if you don't know about a protected category or if you don't know about some protected activity. So that takes us to number seven, stick to your decision if you've done your homework. I get a lot of calls from HR folks and from managers who say, we're about to terminate this employee tomorrow, but today they came in and complained. What do we do? Okay, well, I think it's important first not to make any sudden movements. We've got our termination decision. We've got our disciplinary decision. We've got our performance management decision. Let's put that separate for the time being, okay? And let's look at what it is the person has either asked for or complained about, right? It may be a scenario where we need to say, hey, we're not going to inform the person of the termination decision tomorrow. We're going to leave that for next Friday. And in the interim, we're going to run a couple things to ground. We're going to verify the reasons again for the disciplinary decision, for the performance management decision. And then if the decision to terminate, to discipline, to, to take whatever adverse action was intended to be taken before the employee complained or, or asked for some sort of an accommodation uh, has been checked. In most scenarios, you go forward with it. And I think the one big red flag that gets raised uh, in my mind or that pops up on my radar is if the employee comes forward and complains or asks for an accommodation with regard to one of the performance issues that they're going to be terminated for or that they're going to be put on a performance improvement plan for. And by that I mean is if let's take somebody who's a cashier and they're required to scan certain number of items per minute uh, for someone in their line or to key in a certain number of items or to have memorized a certain number of items and the person has fallen behind and they say, well, look, I've got this, this uh, nerve issue in my back or this spinal issue and I need to, and I need to be able to sit and it's been hurting so bad that it's, it's actually slowed me down, right? So that's an example of when you would need to take a step back and think about, okay, well, we're going to terminate this person for uh, bad performance and not scanning enough items in, in the amount of time that they're required to. But now they're coming forward and asking for an accommodation, right? And, and so that's one of those situations where you, you'd hit pause, right? But uh, for the most part, if you've done your homework, you generally stick to the decision that you've made and move forward with it even in, in these scenarios. All right, that leads us to our eighth tip of the day, which is give the reasons for the termination. Uh, if, we, if you have an employee who's coming into a termination meeting, no employee really walks into a termination meeting and thinks, yep, you know what, Q, you are right. I definitely am not a good employee. I definitely should be terminated. No high fives at the end of that meeting? No, no high fives at the end of that meeting. If, if you've got an employee who's being terminated, you know, their, their mind is going to immediately, if, if, no, if no specific reason is given for termination, their mind is automatically going to go to, well, it must be that claim that I just made. Well, it must be because I just 
filed for workers' comp. It must be because I just asked for leave or just requested some kind of accommodation. Uh, they, they fill in the blanks. Employees tend to fill in the blanks if a reason is not given. If a reason is given at the termination meeting, though, we would caution, ensure that they remain consistent on the reasons for termination. So a lot of times we've got you've got things like unemployment uh, unemployment responses. You've got position statements in response to charges. Uh, then in terms of lawsuits, you want to make sure that you are remaining consistent if you are delivering or, or communicating the reasons for the termination. The next tip is tip nine, update your policies. And for this, uh, employers they need to go back and check to see what their disciplinary policies require. And by that, I mean progressive discipline. I mean attendance policies. I can't tell you how many calls I get and they say, hey, a manager is calling me about this employee who keeps arriving late. Well, how many times have they arrived late? I don't know. They just told me that they keep arriving late. When did they arrive late? Has it been in the last two weeks? Has it been the last month? Are we looking at like an entire year period? Oh, I don't know. They just tell me that they keep arriving late. Okay, well, that's not going to cut it. If you have a tardy policy that says in the last six months, it, in, in the rotating six-month period, you can't have more than five tardies. Okay, well, then we need to make a timeline of the tardies and make sure that they occurred in the six months, right? So that's, that's the first thing. Up, update a policy so that it reflects what you're intending it to, to require an employee to do. But in the context of a performance management or progressive discipline policy, it's important that employers allow themselves flexibility because a handbook cannot contemplate every situation. And managers have different management styles. And so long as the management style doesn't give rise to anything that's against the law, managers are allowed to have different management styles. And so your policies need to be able to address that and anticipate that by including some language that says, for example, this progressive discipline policy is a suggestion. Managers may choose to use it or may choose not to use it in their discretion. They may choose to skip a step. They may choose to repeat steps. They may choose to go right to termination. So having policies that are flexible and that allow you to tailor situations to particular instances of, of misconduct or poor performance is really important because when a decision maker is evaluating a retaliation claim or a discrimination claim, they can go back and look at these policies and say, well, employer, your progressive discipline policy says that you must give a verbal warning, that you must give a written warning. And you, employer, just went straight to termination. So this violation of your policy can be used to show pretext. And so we're going to deny your motion for summary judgment, employer. Uh, and you're either going to have to try this case or resolve it before trial. And that's just a bad position to be in. And I think it's an unforced error. There's, there's plenty of cases that illustrate language that is sufficient to give managers discretion in what progressive disciplinary steps to take. So you want to go back and look at your policies and make sure that you're able to have flexibility there for your manager's style and, and to anticipate that a manager may want to skip a step or not use progressive discipline at all. That's a great point, Q. And one thing that we talked about a lot yesterday in terms of policies is making sure that when you are applying your policies, that you're being consistent, making sure that you're not applying these things differently to similarly situated employees. So if you have employees who are uh, doing certain things, you want to make sure you're addressing it consistently so that there is no difference between Sally and Paul uh, just because Sally Sally made a complaint. Uh, we, had a, we had a lengthy discussion yesterday about the fact that when you've got managers 
in, in an organization, uh, unfortunately, the natural reaction is that folks are going to give leeway to, to employees that they like, and to those employees that they don't like, they're going to be harder. They're going to come in and say, well, 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 Sue came in and, and she was late three times. Uh, and if you look at if you look at the history, uh, John, who we really, really like, uh, was late 10 times and we didn't do anything. So so it's important to keep in mind in terms of retaliation claims that we want to be mindful of consistent application of our policies, making sure you update your policies so that your policies are providing good processes and making sure that requirements are clear. When managers go to apply those policies, uh, it's important that there's consistency across the application. And that leads us to our, our tenth and final tip, which is train your managers. An organization is only as good as its frontline managers, those folks who on a day-to-day -day basis deal with the employees. And so it's important to make sure that managers are mindful of all of the things that we've talked about today in terms of how to manage, how to discipline, how to walk through that process with HR, and frankly, when to engage HR so that there is additional guidance where necessary. Necessary. So those are 10 highlights uh, and 10 defensive tips that we addressed yesterday during our session. Uh, can't touch this disciplining employees in tricky situations. And just a few things to think through when walking through situations where you're trying to discipline, you're trying to terminate, you're implementing a PIP, uh, and these tricky types of situations come up. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you have a good day. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.